This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. Joined today, for the first time, I guess it's the first time we've recorded in uh, two weeks here, by Matasis and Doug Bowman. How you guys doing? We're good. Yeah, we, we can't record without you. And you decided to go to Las Vegas for ever. So, we decided, but now you're back. We decided in solidarity to not record. We just couldn't do it. You. We couldn't do <laughs> yeah. it. Not because we're lazy, just because we missed you. Fair. You know, it's it's good to feel needed. It's good to feel <laughs> wanted. Uh, and it's good to be back. It's good to be back. However, the topic of conversation here uh, in a, what essentially will be our first touch on Hokie football in two weeks here, not going to be the brightest conversation. Unfortunately, we thought things were bad. They actually did get worse. Because I don't know about you guys, but there is a a difference, you know, from the perspective of the fan. One thing to get like pumped and be non-competitive, and that sucks. But to grasp defeat out of the clutches of victory two times in ten days is particularly painful, and that's what Virginia Tech has done. The Hokies blow a double-digit lead against Georgia Tech. Just a week after blowing a 21-3 to lead against NC State. I mean, the offense certainly has proven itself capable of scoring over 20 points. That's, Huge. That's big news. However, quite simply, not enough. You know, there, there's so many unique individual moments that we could point to here. But just on a macro level, gentlemen, you know, how, how do you interpret the last couple of weeks? I think people are pretty used to it at this point, aren't they? Like, being in position to win a game, go back to even, like, Syracuse of last year. Like, this this is, uh, this has been standard, standard operating procedure for quite some time. You know, it's why I'm the proud captain of Hokie Airlines um, with several one-way trips to Heartbreak City every, every year. Uh, Mostly reserve that for basketball season, but it's been more prevalent in football season here over the last couple of years. So, I mean, one point losses uh, in the manner that they happened, it would be it would be different, or it would be more jarring if you didn't expect it and you weren't able to see it coming very slowly but surely, like. That NC State game, as soon as as soon as the tide turned on that, you knew 
you knew exactly where that was headed. Um, and then even when, same thing with Georgia Tech, when they put the ball on the ground, when Virginia Tech put that ball on the ground and it's uh, going in to go up three scores, gave the ball back to Georgia Tech. I think that's, you know, it's it wasn't a, there, there wasn't any, um, any chance or expectation that Virginia Tech was going to write the ship at that point, which I think is the, is the big problem that they have been able to, um, you know, you can make mistakes. You can, you can put the ball on the turf. You can commit penalties. You can do all that stuff, but uh, you got to be able to write the ship and get back on track. And that, that, that hasn't happened in, in quite some time. Um, it seems like I don't, I don't know about you guys, but third and 19 against Georgia tech, that seemed like a lock for you for, for Georgia tech to, convert and it happened pretty much exactly how I envisioned it happening as well with just like just barely eking over the first down marker so like at this point after you know the end of the Justin Fuente era and then this this season like no lead is safe and like we kind of expect that yeah I gotta say it is a you know maniacally stressful way to watch football when any deficit seems insurmountable and any lead doesn't seem like enough. Like, I know that I was just telling these two guys before we started recording, uh, you know, I was in Vegas with some Californians who I work with who don't know much about Virginia Tech football, but double digit lead, you know, about to extend the lead to what probably at that point should have felt insurmountable had Virginia Tech scored uh, before Kishon King fumbled. But the moment that ball's put on the turf, I literally turned to these people. I said, they will now manage to lose this game. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, they seem pretty solidly in command. It's just one mistake. I'm like, it's just the beginning. And, and, and lo and behold, and that's not a way that I want to think. But, I mean, you, you go back to last season, you know, early on uh, in the Justin Fuente era, and it, it's something we talked about, you know, that, you know, the ESPN, like, what percentage you're going to win thing, I mean, like, that doesn't really matter, but there's a statistical formula behind that. And Virginia Tech just constantly finds ways to lose games where they are in that 90, 95% margin. And I, I think psychologically, a, a, as a team and a fan base and for the program at large, not good. Not good. Because... You know, you hear all the time, like, this team doesn't know how to win. And you have two years of evidence with a lot of the same guys that leads you to believe they don't. Yeah, and I mean, it's tough, too, because I feel like, understandably so, a lot of Virginia Tech fans have kind of checked out on the season. Like, there was a rise of optimism in the offseason, you know, a lot of new life. Um, but then when you start losing and losing and losing, I mean, it was tough when you see it against West Virginia and North Carolina and you understand like, okay, that was not even close. And then you go into pit, you have a chance. You, some could say they collapsed in that game as well, or let pit run all over them. You know, Miami, you didn't really show up till the fourth quarter, but you're still, you know, there was a little bit of a chance. And then NC State and Georgia Tech, like, I'm glad you brought up the win probability charts because both of them were at 97%. And like Doug was saying on that third and 19, like a clear-cut opportunity to 
put your stamp on the game. You even take a timeout to try to draw up the best defensive set against Georgia Tech, and they still manage to convert. I mean, it's like everything right now seems to favor whoever Virginia Tech is playing on any single must-be play. And it's just it, – it it looks like you look from the outside and you're like, okay, 2.1 or two one-point losses. But the manner to get there, like it doesn't matter that it was a one-point loss. Both those games should have been clear victories. Um, and I think there is like – a little bit of concern and I think it's fair to be a little bit concerned at this point uh, with how these things are happening and how they're, you know, these mistakes or errors are repeating themselves because you can point to the players and say, there should be more talent. I think all of us would agree that we didn't see Virginia tech and their talent being a two and seven team right now. I think there's a fair bit of blame to be on the coaches too, kind of learning as they go. Um, and I think, you know, generally speaking, concern is is fair because there has like there there has been no proof to to silence the doubts right now. Like it's just bad things continue to happen, and unfortunately, it's it's kind of tough to to instill that new mentality of a coach that's so used to winning at Penn state um, over and over again with, with a team and a roster that's, you know, struggling to make it and get up for each game. Yeah. I think the idea that, you know, learning to win and knowing how to win, I'm not sure how, how long it's going to take for gene tech to learn how to win, given that there's going to be a whole new core next, next season, but it's pretty obvious at this point that this particular group, whatever that means does not know how to win um if you just it's the same core of players since 2019 basically um that's the group that lost to kentucky in the bowl game lost to notre dame by one at the very end you move ahead to 2020 they lost to liberty by three they lost to miami by one um move ahead to even last year when when they lost to um when they lost to notre dame at the end in syracuse like there's a couple of these every year with these guys. And and like, this is what we talked about at the beginning of the year. Like, is there anything different? Can this Virginia Tech coaching staff with Brent Pry, can they extract anything more in terms of production? And I think that's also clearly, can they extract anything more in terms of, you know, second half execution and finishing off games? And uh, the answer, the answer after the last two weeks is resoundingly no. Definitely, certainly not. Yeah, I mean, it's just so, you know, it's demoralizing that there's a degree of just statistical unlikelihood. And, you know, on one hand, given where this team was a few weeks ago, I suppose, being close, not a terrible thing. Uh, Better than... Getting blown out. I will yeah. say that. Like, it's better than getting blown out. It hurts more. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Fair. Better, like, Fair. you know, in the Carolina game, you know, second quarter, you're like, all right, what are we doing tonight? Who cares? Like, uh, you know, it's demoralizing for sure, but it, it's not the the pain of letting it slip through your fingertips. But 
I guess. Okay, we'll do this. We'll be negative a little bit first, and then we'll maybe switch to the positive after. I'm a very positive guy. Okay. Where are we pinpointing the blame here? Because I'm not going to be, uh, you know, sugarcoat it at all. It's reality. We all we all know the internet exists. It seems the happy times are here again. Era, the honeymoon phase of the Brent Pry regime is over, and it's been over for a while. And I think that these two close losses have really seen a a percentage of the fan base. And I, I say this, you know, from observing the internet. I I, I see this uh, anecdotally from talking to friends and who are alumni and you know all different walks of life, people who don't even know each other. Seems like at best people are worried about having to be concerned. And at worst, people are out on him already. So is that fair? Is that fair? Because like you said, Doug, we knew this wasn't the most talented team in the country. We didn't expect this to be a two and seven roster. And this is a team that has not been significantly impacted uh, by injuries, <laughs> really, at all. I mean, he didn't have Malachi for a while. Some dudes have gotten banged up. There's no, like, you know, when Burmeister went down and knocked Kidd, it was the starting quarterback moment here. Or when we talk all offseason about what happens if one offensive lineman gets hurt. Which could still happen. Could still happen, but it <laughs> could still be a huge problem. Uh, but that that hasn't happened either. Yeah. So so you look at this recent stretch of games, and where are we pointing fingers? I think you still have to largely point the fingers at the recruiting problems of the last three or four years. Like this is not a talented roster. Um, there's gaps. I mean, the running back situation with Malachi Thomas for most of the year and Kashawn King in and out of the lineup. There's just not much there. Quarterback, the quarterback position was empty last last year before they they basically had to bring in Grant Wells and Jason Brown um, because of what happened at the quarterback position at the tail end of the Justin Fuente era. Like, I, I still think that this is largely that like the the biggest problem is the talent level. Now there are definitely additional problems that are larger than you would have hoped at this point. Um, specifically the turnovers and the penalties and the lack of crispness that I think can be attributed to, that can be attributed, but I don't particularly think they deserve a pass to the whole first year coaching staff thing. Um, game operation is not a, not a like a, not, not a particularly difficult science to get right for for um, for football coaches that have been coaching for as long as these guys have. And you know, the talent level is down, but so is the execution of game operations and penalties and turnovers and. You know, I don't really know how you coach that out of them. Turnovers are certain certain aspect of turnovers are always luck, but um, certainly you look at like you know we can talk we'll talk about Duke coming up, but 
like <laughs> they have not turned the ball over all year and it's like well they've turned it over six times but have forced way more turnovers than they've um that they've given up and that's a large reason why they've been successful with a down roster or a, a less talented roster so there's something there that on one hand the biggest chunk is the talent level on the other hand something was not achieved by the coaching staff to get the level of um, consistency and the level of um, clean play that Virginia Tech needed to, to be a five or six win team, which I think most everyone thought at the beginning of the season, that was the ceiling. Like it's been a five and six win team for three or four years, still large, largely the same roster. It's probably a five and six five or six um, win team again, and and they're not there. So, you know, part of that is the talent level, and part of that is definitely, I think, the coaching. Of, I don't – maybe not coaching ability, but the coaching job that they've done to date this year where they just haven't – like, we haven't seen anything different over the last couple of weeks in terms of penalties or turnovers or anything like that. That, like, I think we said – Maybe even before, maybe even in September when we're heading in October, like, is Virginia Tech a different team? Will Virginia Tech be a different team in November than they are in September? I think that was the hope, and that was what you were expecting to see, like development over the course of the season. And I, you know, this is kind of largely the same team that played Old Dominion in Week One, um, and that's that's an indictment of the coaching staff, I think. Yeah, and I'll I'll take it a step further. I think it's it's easy to kind of put a bow on it and say like the talent isn't there. Uh, you know, granted, again, like this probably should not be a two and seven team at the moment. Um, but I think if you're going to pinpoint a specific area, you're probably looking at the offense. I mean, like when you bring in guys like Joe Rudolph, you don't expect your entire offensive line to regress. Is that all on Joe Rudolph? No, I don't think so. Like he needs to have capable people to put in and clearly they haven't made, um, you know, they made one single change on the depth chart for the entire season. Then you look at the wide receiver room and, you know, it's, it's curious that guys like Dwayne Lofton and Jaden blue, you know, have, have shown the ability um, to be good wide receivers. And yet like they're pretty much non-factors for this offense. Caleb Smith is probably the only saving grace of this offense for the entire season. Um, And it's not like the coaching staff isn't trying new things. Like it looked against Georgia tech, like they went more of a read option type of offense. They were trying different things, Um, but it's been, the offense has been so inconsistent all year. You know, you finally get, you know, a budding star in Daquan Wright, a guy that when he's on the field, he causes problems. And, I don't know the specific snap counts, but I think when I was looking at PFF, he had like 10 snaps. I do. It was 12. 12 snaps last week, and I think the week before he played for a majority of the offensive snaps. 41 snaps the week before. Thank you, Doug. (laughs) Stat checker. I was all over it. (laughs) So, like, they're figuring things out. You understand that the offense is trying new things at the same time when you have have something that's positive you're not exploring it even more in fact in Daquan Wright's case and that's just one example right like there there's so many examples on this offense and um again like Grant Wells has been pretty much average 
right below average all season long. So the biggest problem with this team has been the offense. And it's, you know, it it is a little concerning that you have a lot of co- – like even, even looking at Tyler Bowen, who doesn't have a ton of experience, he's been in the pros, he's been around Penn State. You know, he was even considered for the offensive coordinator position there. So you have someone that's clearly capable. You have a Joe Rudolph. You have Brad Glenn, who has a history of at least developing quarterbacks. And yet, in none of those categories have we seen improvements, if anything, regression. And again, a lot of it, you can look at the talent and say they're not, the coaches aren't put in a position to succeed. They're trying things out constantly to try to make things work and just nothing's working. But to not find any semblance of a solution yet, I think that's where the concern comes in. And, you know, you even look at these last couple games, like a lot, you know, this Georgia Tech game, the offense scored, what, 14 points? You have a punt return for a touchdown. You have an interception return. Um, It's not like, you know, they've figured anything else out. So I think that's where my concern lies. If everything is the same for next season, even if you're bringing in more talent, where is the evidence that it's going to get better, you know, just based on what we've seen so far? And that's, I think, where I'm pinpointing. The, the big like, I think you just touched on it. Like, one, there's a question of whether the coaching staff is going to be able to get more out of next year's team. But, like, it's an uphill battle to get a better next year's team when you just look at the – you can project the depth chart right out, and it's like – is it, it like does Virginia Tech have to land eight starters to the transfer portal to to be better next year? Do they have to? Yeah, do, and, do they have to do... and to be fair, you know, even if say say they won the last two games and there's a path to six and six or an easier path uh, to five wins, the reality of the situation, talent-wise, probably remains the same, but you have a much more compelling argument to those transfers that, yeah, we're just a couple of guys away and you can be that guy and you're a plug and play. Uh, though anyone who's worth anything probably has a, a variety of options. I would love to, wa- I would love to go back through like transfer portal recruiting success and see like the difference between like a three and nine team versus like a six and six team. That's like, you know, like a, ascending team versus a descending team and whether and and how big of an impact that played in in portal decisions and i think the one and i think the other the other problem with that is what we know about the portal is it's not particularly uh it's a, it's a crapshoot too um so like I, I don't like it's it's a it's an uphill battle for this for particularly virginia tech offense i think there's enough young players defensively to be more excited about that side of the ball but offensively like it's so it's, it's going to be a challenge for a significant talent upgrade there by next year yeah i mean like essentially i mean when it comes to you know the offense in the transfer portal offensive linemen don't tend to transfer when a really like suitable offensive man does he tends to transfer to an opportunity to play right away at a, you know, blue blood school, if you will, like, you know, UVA's all-conference offensive lineman transferring to Michigan kind of deal. You rarely see it when you do it, something like that. 
uh, and wide receiver. It's just where Virginia Tech is right now today, I have a hard time imagining. I mean, I don't think anyone's leaving a Power 5 role where they played at all if you go play at Virginia Tech. So Yeah, like somebody at Tavion Robinson's level last yeah, year. Yeah, that's exactly like, what I'm thinking. That's like exactly mid, what's not happening. Mid-high major going to another mid-high major with some level of production. Like, he went to go play for whoever Kentucky's quarterback is. Like, that's an appealing situation. Um, I, I don't know if that's there at Virginia Tech right now. Well, also, just with wide receivers in general, like, I agree with the sentiment. Like, you're normally getting a guy like, you know, Damon Hazleton is a guy from Ball State that does really well, and you bring him over. Like, you're getting guys from lower tiers of competition. But, you know, even even wide receivers, like, back to the point about, Jaden Blue, like I understand 2019 was a long time ago and he had a thousand yard season, but even in this Virginia Tech offense where you'd like to think that the players around him, the coaches around him are elevated from a program like Temple, like he's still having his statistically his worst season um, in college playing at Virginia Tech after transferring. And I understand like there were circumstances in the offseason that affected him and, you know, he wasn't a hundred percent healthy, but you know, point being, like, even if Virginia Tech found someone that caught 100 passes for 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns, how do we know that in this offense they would scheme someone like that to be that type of productive player? You know, like, it it, it really is a crapshoot, and it, it kind of sucks that Virginia Tech doesn't have that identity on offense because you can't really sell – someone to come into the offense and replicate that type of production at a higher level. So card ahead of the horse, I suppose, as we, as we worry about <laughs> next year already. But like I mentioned, Virginia Tech played a little bit more competitively. Obviously they did. I mean, they two losses by a combined two points. What has gone right? Because Reality is a play here, a play there, and Virginia Tech's won two games in a row. And that's not something that could be said about any of the losses prior. Maybe save Old Dominion, which talk about something that was really a precursor and everyone should have expected what happened after that. But nonetheless, what has gone right? What has improved for a team that continues to lose but now is showing at least signs of life? For three quarters, I think you hit the. I think you nailed it there. Uh, Virginia Tech's defense has played well enough to keep the offense in the game against uh, a undermanned NC State team with a backup quarterback and then a freshman who ultimately smoked them, um, and then uh, an, an underwhelming Georgia Tech offense. Uh, you know, I think that's Tech's. Defense did the same there for a little bit against Pitt until Banacanda got rolling. Like, like if Tech's defense plays well enough, they can hang around against ACC coastal mid-level teams like that. Um, I think that's largely what what happened here in the last two weeks, and and they just weren't able to get it over the get it over the hump. I think mostly because the offense is where it is. Um, Matei said it earlier, 20, 
they got to 27. They haven't quite gotten to that 28 point number we keep talking about. But that was a you know a pick six from Kelly Lawson and a punt return from Tucker Holloway. Like it's like they have an offense that gets one or two drives per game that they can move down the field and, and score a touchdown. So it's seven to 14 points. And then they have an offense that gets one or two big passing plays um, to Caleb Smith, like literally only Caleb Smith. And that's another seven, 14 points. And there's your offense. And, and, and in between or other than that, it's just not um, – like there's there's not enough offense there, and that's that's why like Virginia Tech's up twenty one to three against NC State on the heels of a couple big pass plays to Caleb Smith, and the rest of the game that the offense doesn't do anything. The defense gave them gave them three quarters to build a build a bigger lead um, than they could. Uh, kind of the same thing against Georgia Tech, where the defense gave them, you know, gave them it was. 27-16 in the fourth quarter, 16 points in most of the game is like you've got like Tech's Tech's offense has to be better. That's the main thing, and that's that's what went wrong. What went right? Back to Andrew's original question: is the defense was good enough to win the game, at least you know, and at least in the, the NC State case, until until they kind of wore down and and gave way. But like 22 points, you should you should be able to win that game. Yeah, and I think, like, for the most part, even, like, this entire season, maybe minus the West Virginia game and maybe minus North Carolina, like, the defense has done a great job at keeping Virginia Tech in the game. And I think you... Even that West Virginia game was 16-10 to 10 at the end yeah, of three. Yeah, it's true. Like, it's right yeah. there. Yeah, it's true. So maybe just that North Carolina game with... Drake May, who's becoming a Heisman candidate after I called him a fraud, but I took that back. <laughs> Anyways, oh, for man. some optimism. That, that was fun. That was a fun one. <laughs> for some optimism, like, I mean, the offense hasn't been great, but in the in back-to-back weeks, like Caleb Smith, although he has these lofty expectations to be the number one guy and we can debate all day whether he should be or not, he's lived up to the billing and he makes a difference for the offense, whether it's, you know, four catches in one game or, you know, just a couple big plays, he's kind of the jump starter. And then, you know, I actually thought that, you know, Georgia Tech's run defense isn't great, but like Kashawn King had a good day until the fumble. Um, you get a punt return for a touchdown with Tucker Holloway, who sets what a program record for single game punt return yards. So you have a couple like special teams largely has been good, uh, maybe minus punt return this year uh, until Tucker Holloway. The defense has been solid and has given the team a chance. Like you feel good about them moving forward. It's just the offense trying to figure it out. And like the one thing I do respect, like although I'm, I would say I'm like concerned with the offensive approach this season. They're trying new things. It may not be chucking in a new quarterback, but you know, they tried kind of a new scheme. There was that one, I think it was Chance Black um attempted trick play. Like they're they're trying new things and I respect it even if it's not working. That was a funny um, play too. 
<laughs> he was, was so determined to throw that ball, even <laughs> though it wasn't open. <laughs> yeah, Grant Wells was covered on that play, but he had it in his mind. That was his one option. But, you know, the offense is trying. Um, so, it you know, I don't think, you know, looking at the rest of the slate, like the game's kind of get tougher after Georgia Tech. Like Georgia Tech was probably the easiest case remaining. Um, but if you can somehow, like every week we say it, if you can somehow build a little bit more on offense, you've shown that your defense can hold you in the game. Your special teams now gives you a chance to make plays uh, and help out your offense. And you just kind of have to rely on that combination. Like it's going to be a defensive minded program. Um, and you just hope that you have enough offense to, to compete on a weekly basis. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yeah, and, and to your point about Virginia Tech's offense, right? And going back to NC State, Doug, when when we previewed that game, it was kind of like the, the shared sentiment was, "Hell, NC State's offense." This is before we knew they were going to put the freshman in. Uh, was abysmal, which they were until they made that change at quarterback. So is Virginia Tech. So it's going to come down to who turns the ball over. Uh, and, and who can get big plays? And early on, it looked like Virginia Tech uh, was getting big plays. When I say early on, I mean like for a period of time during the third quarter. <laughs> it, it looked like they had gotten something together. But yeah. then NC State makes the switch. They start getting the ball rolling. And you know how like you're watching an NFL game and a team scores and it's like, oh, it's, there's 12 seconds left. It's like, oh, that's too much time for Aaron Rodgers. That's too much time for... Josh Allen. It's too much time for Patrick Mahomes because you know that they're capable of moving the ball in a hurry and just sustaining a drive. The Virginia Tech, it's like there's there's no such thing. It's too much time because it's like there's very few examples all season of them being able to put something together offensively where there wasn't a big play involved to move them down the field. And those have come few and far between. I think that there might have been a couple of examples like late in the game against Miami, against NC State, the one with, with Daquan Wright, where they, they just seemed to feed him time after time after time. And it looked like 
the offense had finally found some rhythm. It's just, it's hard to find rhythm. And though it wasn't as much of an issue against Georgia Tech as obviously it was against NC State, for an offense that struggles enough to find rhythm, penalties are just absolutely killer. And you, you can blame talent. You can question play calling. It's easy for us armchair quarterbacks to question play calling because the collegiate level with the right talent, the plays will work. <laughs> like, you know, Justin Fuente's offense looked abysmal with Braxton Burmeister in a way that it did not look abysmal with Gerard Evans. <laughs> and you can include the guys that surrounded him. But at the end of the day, it, all of that combined with discipline, with the play calling, maybe pinning it on not using you have to take what you have and use it to the best of the, their abilities, right? If you want to win football games. And I think we've seen some progress there with the addition of right. I think it was awesome to see, you know, Tucker Holloway come in and return that punt. And maybe it's a one-off, but maybe it's a situation where you're like, where's that been all season? You know, where's that spark plug been? So I don't know. It, it, it still very much looks like a team as it obviously should when you're two and seven, that's trying to figure it out. And I, I think there's, you know, st- still a ways to go and, and not much time to do it with Liberty on the horizon coming off of a huge win. I still like to think UVA to be a toss-up game. I don't think there's any team that UVA could go into a game feeling confident that they would beat, especially on the road. Uh, but, but that brings us to our, our matchup this week, that it's Duke, where the one that we really thought, I think there's a lot of Virginia Tech fans that would have thought that Duke was a more guaranteed victory than Old Dominion. Old Dominion's already a loss. And Virginia Tech, nine and a half point underdogs heading into this game against Duke. Doug, you write the previews. Tell us about the Devils. They are what Brent Pry talks about when he when he talks about complimentary football every week. Um Riley Leonard is their quarterback, and uh, I think the last thing that David Cutcliffe did for Duke was graduate him from the David Cutcliffe School of Quarterback play um, because he has gone from – I mean, he played last year against Tech and didn't didn't have a chance, basically, Um, and he's one of the most efficient and – like he's the prototype for a for a game manager quarterback that you could want at the college level. He doesn't doesn't turn the ball over. Um, he's only had four turnover worthy plays according to PFF. So he doesn't even like put the ball into dangerous territory. Um, they don't throw the ball down the field, but they don't have to because the running game is really strong, which is the second part of this complimentary off complimentary football team. Um, and then and then the last thing they do is they're pretty good against the run uh the defense is the leaky part of the team but you know, the offense has carried them enough you know like we were talking about with virginia tech's offense needs to be good enough like duke's defense plays well enough and, and the offense picks up the snap slack to win the games and then the other thing they do on special teams is like their field position numbers are absurd in terms of like they are starting the starting with the ball closer to the goal line than you know your average team and they are in the in the opposing offense starts farther back so it's just like the perfect mesh of how you build a complementary football team 
and it's going to be really difficult for Virginia Tech to win the game because of that. Like, they don't make mistakes. Um, I think Tech is number like 124 in the country in turnovers, and uh, Duke is like third in the country. Like, like the for Virginia Tech to win a game this year, to win another game, they need help from the other team. They need a turnover. They need a bunch of penalties. They need they need something to give them an extra possession or two, which will give them that, you know, the just from a sheer numbers game, it'll give them more offensive possessions from the other team. And hopefully you can get another seven to ten points out of them. And that's the difference. This Duke team is not going to do that. Um, they're going to take care of the ball. They're going to run the ball. Um, Leonard is a very, very talented and good runner. I think this is actually Tech's first true dual threat read option game that the defense has faced all year. So I think that's something really interesting to watch is how how Tech defends it. Um, Leonard, will, Leonard will hold on to the ball very long and then pull it and run the other way. And if you're not, if you're not good at you know, if you're not ready for it, he's going to run over you. That's what he did against Boston College um, last week. So it's just not a good matchup for this Virginia Tech team in terms of how fundamentally sound and how complimentary and how they're they're just not going to beat themselves. Um, and they're playing a team in Virginia Tech that will beat themselves and needs help from the opposing team to to really have a chance. So, you know, it's a it, like it's just a t- it's just a tough matchup, and it's pretty crazy to see what what Elko has been able to do to turn it turn it around to this level. Like like Virginia Tech beat the doors off of Duke last year in Justin Fuente's last game. Like it was over. Like the, everybody knew what was coming. They 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 fired Fuente a couple a couple of days after that game, like two days later. And Tech won that game 48-17. It wasn't even close. <laughs> and then you go and you come back 12 months later, and Duke is six and three, and like a solid, solid football team. That's t- they're talking about going eight and four, nine and three on the like that's that's absurd. And um, definitely credit to what Elko has done. And like you know, you hear like I think I think under Pry the 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 uh, we're trying to play complimentary football has become the we're trying to go one and oh every week of the Justin Fuente era and it just hasn't happened and they, they, they give credit for staying consistent with it but like what Elko has done at Duke is is what Brent Pry wanted to do this year it's also crazy if you look at Duke's schedule I mean a bit of revisionist history but they're 13 points away from being nine and oh like they played Kansas close lost by a touchdown lost to Georgia Tech by three, and then lost to North Carolina by three. So, like, and it seems like in every game they're scoring at least 20 points. Like, it's a consistent offense. Riley Leonard has almost as many touchdowns as the entire Virginia Tech rushing attack. Um, They're just a good team. It's like this is probably a four and eight type of team that's being maximized. Whereas like Virginia tech is kind of trending the other way. Like, as you said, this is like an absolute, this is a rebuild project that has been, you know, with, for whatever reason, accelerated this year. So just a really sound team. It makes you wonder, like if you take away all the mistakes, if you, if you find a little bit more consistency on offense, what would Virginia tech look like? But 
you know, Duke doesn't have to wonder. They just they're they've been very very sound and consistent all year. If fifths and butts were candies and nuts, you know, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. And unfortunately, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like if all these things happen, then we'd be good. Yeah. Not it's a long list. Unfortunately, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things that would have to be turned around. But going into NC State, you know, that was a game where Virginia Tech was actually uh, bigger dogs than this one. We certainly saw that roadmap. And it almost came to fruition, right? I mean, Virginia Tech was right there with a near three-score lead uh, in the second half, and that did not happen. Doug, did you see a roadmap uh, similar to that, or is this a game where you're taking Duke? Minus nine and a half. I think I'm going to take Duke minus nine and a half. The only roadmap is if Duke doesn't, if Duke hurts himself. Like, um, they, they, they're left, their offensive line is good enough. That's one of the main reasons that they are, in addition to Leonard's play, which is obviously helped by a strong offensive line. Like, the, the left tackle is the best offensive lineman in the ACC by far, according to PFF like by seven points of a grade, which is absurd. Um, he's the number two offensive tackle in the country. Like they have gotten superb play out of got a, ton, a ton of guys that you just wouldn't expect. And um, unless they put the ball on the turf or Leonard suddenly, you know, gets a case of the yips and throws the ball to Virginia Tech a couple of times. Like I don't see it happening. I don't see like, Duke's strength of running the football is a safe and effective way to um, beat teams that you're better than that. You're like Duke, Duke doesn't have athletes that are going to run by you or you know, Jalen Calhoun's still pretty good at wide receiver. He's been there forever. Um, and they have some really intriguing defensive linemen Um there's one kid who's six six two forty is a true freshman who's starting like he's gonna he's gonna be a menace for four years basically um but but really i don't i do not see a pathway unless duke turns the ball over because otherwise they could just run the ball 45 times for 250 300 yards probably um four touchdowns on the ground they they lead the acc with 26 rushing touchdowns this year like they they put the ball in the end zone by running the ball and that's a pretty safe way to safe and repeatable way to win football games so unless you know against nc state like their offense had had been struggling even with devin leary and now they didn't have a quarterback against georgia tech their offense was is just bad in general no matter who's playing quarterback um, this is not that, and like we, we once again we can bring it up the the race to twenty eight. I don't see how Virginia Tech gets there against Duke, or or if they get there, that they'll be able to slow down like this Duke, this Duke offense enough um, to, to get a win. Unless, like I've said over and over again, Duke suddenly becomes this team that turns the ball over. They've only turned it over six times. Um, I'm looking at their turnover rate. Only seven percent of their drives this year have turned have ended in in a turnover. And for Virginia Tech, that's fourteen percent. I mean, it's two completely different teams in terms of like just the simple 
things that you need to do to win the football game. Now at this point, let's go to prediction time. Doug, you, you kind of let us off earlier by hinting at where you thought you'd be on that spread. What are you thinking now? Uh, I'm going to go Duke 31, Virginia Tech 16. Okay. Comfortable. I was actually going to go something similar. And also, like, looking back, I remember, like, after that Kansas game, circling Duke and being like, they're going to be a big problem just the way they play versus how Virginia Tech is playing. And, you know, since then, we've only gotten more evidence um, to support that. So, like Doug was saying, unless Virginia Tech can figure out how to make big plays to Caleb Smith, get very far ahead and kind of slow down that running attack, it's, you know, it's more than likely that Duke will be able to score first and continue their rhythm and kind of chip away all game where we've seen the Virginia Tech offense just, you know, try to make something happen. Um and I think it's going to be another example of of that. And I think it's going to be thirty one seventeen for for Duke. Yeah, I came up with thirty five seventeen on this one. Kind of through all the points that you guys just made, Duke is uh, consistent, and they're playing a game that against a team that almost requires outside-the-box moments, inconsistencies, at least inconsistencies based on the larger pattern that we've seen all season in order to have any semblance of offensive success. And the Hokies have played a couple of games against teams who consistently could find their way offensively, and all those games have been absolute trouncings. Uh, And even against teams like Georgia Tech and, uh, you know, not at full strength NC State, Miami. Like There are moments in the game where, where those teams are able to find it, and Virginia Tech just quite simply can't. So uh, that's kind of what I'm going with here. Uh, you know, we're all taking Virginia Tech to drop to two and eight on the season. So uh, anything else you guys want to talk about? What's on the, uh, the random docket? I will say we didn't get to talk about it before. This is also kind of sad. Virginia Tech camp. UConn beats Boston College. How about that? UConn is one win away from bowl eligibility. We're about to have, we could have a, a, a season where UConn, Duke, and Kansas are bowl eligible. Who do you take? Neutral site. UConn, Virginia Tech. Oh, wow. Neutral site. <laughs> um, Neutral think- site. In a junkyard somewhere. It's really hard. I mean, you have to pick UConn, right? They're better than Virginia Tech right now. They haven't played anybody, right? Aren't they independent? They're independent. Uh, they've they played Syracuse, lost 48-14, lost to Michigan 59-0, NC State 41-10. They beat Fresno State, um, beat Boston College 13-3, um, and then beat UMass most recently 27-10. I might actually I might take Tech in this game. I'm looking I just pulled up their FEI ratings. Um they are the number one eighteen team in the country still, despite being five and five. Virginia Tech is ninety-eight. So a decent chunk better than also by Tech the still. way, they're playing the number nineteenth ranked Liberty next week. 
and then a tough triple option game at Army. That's kind of a tough closeout. Tough, but they do have Jim Moore Jr. as their head football coach. So Fair enough. Maybe, maybe future Virginia Tech head coach Jim Moore Jr. <laughs> the, uh, Impossible to rule out at this point. I don't love the ESPN matchup predictor, and I don't know how they're already projecting out for the um, season end at Army, but 84.4% to Army. So maybe a 5-7, and seven, receive a Gasparilla or something. I don't know. Bad boys lawnmower bowl invitation. Look, we're not using the ESPN matchup predictor. That is blasphemy. Um, (laughs) But I will say that UConn Army, a game that many will have circled on their calendar. Uh, Alabama no longer can uh, play for a national championship. Is Nick Saban uh, washed up? Is he over the hill? Is it over? Tuscaloosa? I had a buddy send me some... uh some screenshots of of the Alabama message board is <laughs> a completely different world down there. It really is. Uh, Saban absolutely has to clean house. And somebody replied, he needs to clean the mirror too. Apparently it's Saban's fault. Uh, <laughs> Imagine being upset at him at any point. <laughs> also like, you lost to Tennessee on a game-winning field goal at Tennessee. Then you go at LSU, and granted, they probably should have won that game. There was a block in the back on the touchdown run. There, it confirmed in overtime. And then Brian Kelly goes for two, and they get it. And, like, that was fantastic. But, you know, they lost, what, four points, and they dropped two games. Like, they're still an elite team. <laughs> they still have a five-star pipeline coming in. Like they're not washed at all. It's it, just this. This one fan says, "I guess they're talking about they don't like their defensive coordinator." I guess um, <laughs> they said, "If he's not gone, it's going to be difficult to stay locked in as a fan next year." It's been tough on Alabama fans. It really has. <laughs> it really <laughs> has. Guys, I have a good transition because I don't. If, if someone's contemplating turning us off right now, Virginia Tech basketball. Like, oh yeah. Can we like dominant perform again? They were supposed to win by what was the spread? Thirty-seven or something. But Grandpa Seal, like unbelievable. Storm and then Sean the <laughs> Storm the Basile, the Basile missile crisis. I mean, there's a lot of them. The real deal, <laughs> the max deal, the steel, Grant Basile. Ooh, that was quick. But like, even workshopping some stuff. <laughs> you got to get out early in basketball season. Yeah. Um, but you know, Sean Padula stepping in, 18 points last night. He looks great. He looks like an upgrade over Storm Murphy. Um, Hunter Couture didn't really have to do anything. Like some of the guys on the bench looked good. Like. I think it's going to be a fun season. I mean, I absolutely uh, refuse to read too much into this <laughs> game against Delaware State. I'm overselling. However, you know, Basile comes in in his first game and scores 30 points in 25 minutes, you know, three for six from beyond the arc, or no, six from nine from beyond the arc. Uh, Lynn Kidd looks stronger. 
Chumpadula, I mean, there obviously had to be an expectation for improvement there, given that like last year he was playing true freshman, no true, you know, full offseason program to work with. Hunter Couture doesn't really have that good of a game, but we know what he's capable of. Uh, we all assume this is going to be the year that Maddox is going to step up. You see him in double figures. Just about didn't even play. Exactly. Uh, and then, you know, you get double digits off the, men, uh, off the bench from John Camden, a transfer. No MJ Collins. Either. Yeah, MJ Collins, a freshman. And then Potat. Am I pronouncing that correctly? I think it's Elijah Potat. Yeah, Elijah Potat. Uh, you know, he comes in, puts in nine. It, it, it seems like there is some depth there. And, you know, it, it's easy to look at a performance from a guy like Basile and then some of these guys coming off the bench as, as transfers. As, you know, it was Delaware State, but at the same time, you know, it took a while for everyone to accept that Kevin Aluma was the real deal as a transfer from Wofford. So... Maybe Mike Young is just the foremost expert in finding experienced players who have played at the Division I college level that could fit right into his system. And if that's the case, you know, I mean, the question before Mutz returned was, is Virginia Tech a tournament team or an NIT team? Is that what's a fair expectation for the year? The moment that Mutz returned, I said, yeah, tournament again that should be the standard and based on early performances against a not tournament team in delaware state you know you you can see the roadmap it was cool so <laughs> you know hey, hey am i overselling it too doug well you, you, you i think you began that by saying that you weren't going to read into it a game against delaware state um but obviously that was a a good first performance. Um, I thought the shooting level of this team is uh, beyond what any recent Virginia Tech team has put together in terms of shooters on the field floor. Like, you know, Mutz is a selective spot-up three-point shooter, and Basile looks to be a little better than him. Um, He's at least that's what, yeah, at least that's what he was last year put the ball on the deck a little bit. I think that's, you know, that it's going to be really interesting when defensively can the starting five of Padula, Couture, Maddox, Mutz, and Basile, which is probably their top offensive lineup, can that hold up in ACC? And I think that's the big question. And and, and then I, the other question is like, this is the deepest Virginia Tech team that, that, that we We've definitely seen. I mean, remember the days of like hoping Kerry Blackshear doesn't pick up two quick fouls because Tech is going to have to play uh, Johnny Hamilton or somebody like Ty Outlaw at the five. Or, <laughs> Ty Outlaw at the five or uh, what was his name? PJ Horn at six six. Like, like that. Those were problems. There was zero depth there, and Tech's got plenty of depth. So it's going to be really interesting to watch how this how Mike Young shrinks the rotation because it is going to shrink. They're not going to play 10, 11 guys the whole year, especially getting into ACC play in the, in the bigger games. So like, um, I think there's, I think there's going to be some heated competition, some internal competition, uh, especially like rice and 
and, and Collins um, and, and Camden too will have to, he's going to have to play well when he gets his chance to, to keep his role. So it's going to be an interesting season. Uh, I'm looking at the schedule now. They go Lehigh, William and Mary, which probably two wins there. And then they're in Charleston, which will be our first sort of look at some tests against Old Dominion and then maybe Penn State there. Um, the bit, I mean, the stretch from this is a pretty entertaining non conference schedule when you go the stretch from starting in 20 days, Minnesota, UNC, Dayton, Oklahoma State, there, four games and four games and 14-ish days, like, that's where we're going to find out a lot about um, where Virginia Tech is in early December. So I think, to wrap this up, Andrew was on the right track that we should not put too much stock into Delaware State. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll say. <laughs> oh, boy. Like, regard, regardless of the result, I'm just, I think, like, we're just joking around about how undersized Virginia Tech has been. Like, it just, it feels good to know that Virginia Tech has that depth, especially in the front court. But, like, I don't know exactly offhand what it is, but, like, the average height of the team is, like, 6'6". Like, Sean Padula is by far the shortest guy. But you're bringing in guys, like, all over the floor that are 6'7 plus. And I think, like, finally being able to you know, you're not playing a four-guard set against the Florida States and North Carolinas of the world. Like, you're finally going to be able to compete and get some rebounds. Like, I think that's what I'm very excited for. And then, you know, as a bonus, like, we know it's a Mike Young team. Everyone's going to be able to shoot. So just knowing that they have the pieces and and Mike Young has proven, like, he can get the most out of these guys. Like, I, I'm, I'm just excited for the season. But like you said, that four-game stretch, that's going to be telling. What um how quickly do we think Armando Baycott is gonna foul out Poteet? <laughs> like that's that's why he that's why he's at Virginia Tech, right? Like to match up with Baycott twice. Yeah. And and to just body him no matter what until he fouls out. A valiant role to have. But hey, I will say, you know, we can't look past the next game on the schedule. Lehigh coming up. Last time Virginia Tech faced Lehigh, I believe I was in the building for this one. Virginia Tech held just a five-point lead at halftime before outscoring Lehigh by 21 in the second half. Landers Nolly leads the way, 27 points. Virginia Tech, 79 to 53, back on November 16th, 2019. Where were you when? Lehigh opened their season with a 90. You don't get this this information anywhere else. I mean, listeners. You does don't, you don't does anyone it. else care? Probably not. But Probably not. But Lehigh lost to Syracuse 90 to 72 um, to uh, to get the season started last night. Um, they, they'll go to Blacksburg, and then they open up their home slate Sunday in Lehigh, which is in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, uh, against a school called Misericordia. Hmm. That'll be a good warm-up game for the Marist game coming up for them on the 16th. Uh, I very well might be going to Blacksburg for the Virginia Tech William & Mary basketball game coming up 
uh, if for no other reason than I was offered free tickets and I have some things I need to take care of there. So we shall see. We shall see. All right, gentlemen, I'm done. Any last words? I got nothing. I got nothing. All right. Inside the tunnel, VT Scoop, 24-7 Sports. We will talk to you next week, probably, as we talk about Virginia Tech coming off of a – we all seem to be a loss against Duke, but who knows? Anything can happen. God, I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. If you played that to me <laughs> three months ago, I would have been very surprised. <laughs> uh, and to finish up my sentence, against number 19, Liberty. We'll talk to you then. Have fun, as always. Go Hokies.